Welcome to Addicted to Busy, the podcast specifically for overachieving property managers who are dying for a little more work-life balance in their lives. Each week, we dismantle all the BS that holds us back. You'll learn how to nix those tricky, self-sabotaging habits so that you have the time, energy, and motivation to create what you really want in life. If you're looking to shift from overcommitted to overjoyed, this is the podcast for you. Let's do this. Now, your host, Anna Havalyana. Hello, and welcome back to the Addicted to Busy podcast. I am so excited to welcome Mike Kading, the CEO of Norhart, to the show today. This is sure to be a very inspirational and empowering episode as they are taking some amazing steps in the development industry as well. And you're going to hear all about that today. So to introduce Mike to you, as I mentioned, he is the CEO of Norhart and they design, build, and rent apartments. And they are absolutely transforming the way that apartments are built and managed by incorporating technologies and efficiencies that have revolutionized other industries and lead to high quality, cost-effective projects. Now, his parents started the family business, but just a few years after joining the business, his father unexpectedly passed away. And all of a sudden, it felt like he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. He had to lead this business with no preconceived notion of the way that things are done in this industry. And he was struggling to the point where the city briefly shut them down, which shattered his world. But they just naively started to solve problems, and that was the magic. They began changing the way that construction is done, starting with an attractive culture unique to the construction industry, and they hired the best talent. Together, they solved chronic construction inefficiencies, applied techniques for manufacturing, and integrated traditionally unaffiliated trades. This resulted in higher quality and lower cost projects. Their mission is to solve America's housing shortage by transforming the way that apartments are built and managed. And in doing so, this will improve the way that we all live. Mike, thank you for taking time today and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This should be fun. So I heard about you through, of course, a network connection in the property management industry, because while this industry is big, it is also very small. Mm -hmm. And um, we caught up on the phone a couple of weeks ago, and she was telling me about the way that you develop and build your properties. And I think my jaw dropped probably three times as she was explaining everything. Can you give us some background as to what Norhart is doing? Yeah, at a high level, we design, build, and rent apartments, but really we're focused on driving down the cost of construction. We're already achieving about a 20 to 30% reduction in cost, and we believe we can achieve a 50% reduction. But imagine what that means someday. It means someday your rent could be half, or your mortgage payment could be half. And over time, as we ramp and scale this up, we believe we can achieve that nationwide to actually work to solve America's housing affordability crisis. Okay, this sounds like straight magic, 50% <laughs> yeah. reduction in cost. Can you tell me a little bit about how you're making that happen? Yeah, at, at a really high level, to be overly simplistic, 
There are other industries like manufacturing and agriculture that have improved substantially over the past 60 years. Manufacturing has improved by 760%. Agriculture has improved by 1,500%. Do you have any guess of what construction has done during that time? No clue. Nothing. Well, <laughs> 10%, but basically nothing. So all we're doing is we're applying the lessons that have been learned in these other industries into our own. And we're having tremendous success with that. So there's a lot of techniques and things that we do, but that gives you a high level flavor of what we're trying to accomplish. Oh, I love that. So one of the things that we talk about in coaching is that when you learn one skill in one facet of your life, mm. it inevitably transfers out into all of the others. And so what you're kind of doing here is taking all of the lessons that these other industries have learned and you're translating them into the property management and development industry. Exactly. And what's interesting is that, you know, for all the top people in the world, they think of going to places like technology or maybe AI or robotics or finance. But if we can capture some of those brightest people and bring them into the world of construction, which stereotypically doesn't attract the, the top talent. Now there's great talent there. But if we can attract the best people, bring them together and solve problems in our industries and the way they've done elsewhere, you can have major impact. How are you bringing these different fields together? How are you making these connections? Yeah, well, one simple thing is we built out a partnership with places like Toyota. Toyota invented a concept called Lean, which is the way that the manufacturing industry has seen massive improvements. And I was speaking at a conference and happened to get connected with someone from Toyota and they decided to come over and join with us. As far as like our team members, our staff, we went pretty crazy with this and hired a whole army of recruiters that all they do is they go network and build relationships and connect with the best of the best people in as many different industries as they can and try to bring them on in. So tell me a little bit about some of the new technology that you are using. And I'd like to focus this question towards the property management aspect of your business. So the property management side, we have things like smart home tech. Being able to unlock your doors with your Apple Watch through your whole building is, is something that we're halfway there and we want to get fully implemented. It's solving the simple problems that cause people frustration. For example, not having to sign up for the internet, internet that just works and is a high speed and then a place for you or your utilities. You know, a lot of properties to go sign up for the utility company, all that's automatically in place for you. Being able to do your lease and all of your, your interactions, allowing people to do that through a portal rather than having to come in to talk to people. Now we have leasing staff and the relationship's really important. But we really think about how do we interject technology in a way that removes pain points out of people's lives when it at least comes to property management. That was one of the conversations that I had had with our mutual friend is that over the years, customer service hasn't really changed. I mean, all in all, our tenants still want to be seen and heard. They want to feel recognized and like their problems are being taken seriously. How are you maintaining tenant relationships, resident relationships, when it is now possible to run this business without having to interact with a human if you don't want to anymore? That's a great question. 
you know, when it comes down to it, it really starts and 90% of the work is in who you hire. If you get amazing people, and I really do mean it, like top in the world, quality level people working with you, they inspire community in a way that I can't teach and train. I was just actually talking to one of our property managers this morning, and I was asking her, like she had she had a fairly small property. She got most everyone, something like 60 people to show up to a local event recently. It's like, wow, how did you do that? How did you build that <laughs> level of community? She's like, well, I called them all. Then I went down the hallway and started knocking on the doors and inviting them out to the event. But it's that kind of tenacity and energy that you can't, you can kind of teach people it, but they really need to have it innately in them. They got to have that bubbly, engaging kind of personality to bring people together like that. So I think it really is. It's in who you hire. 100%. I think that some people are great at networking and interacting with complete strangers and holding the energy and the space for them. And other people are just a little bit, they're more shy, if you will. And it does take that personality who's willing to reach out to people, talk to people, maybe be okay with not receiving a response or getting rejected in order to make this all come together. Yeah, it's so true. You know, one important thing I've learned in life is to identify people's genius. Right, mm-hmm. certain people have that genius, that extroverted connectivity part. Other people have totally different geniuses, like the numbers and the math and the the calculus. Mm-hmm. And if you can identify and name a person's genius, and then to work the best you can to put them in the role that has them executing on their genius most of their time, that makes their life better, and the company excels so much as a result of that. So I could not agree with you more. Yeah. What challenges do you think your property managers are facing today? What are the most common challenges that you're seeing? I think one of the biggest challenges, I guess just in general, is people. Mm -hmm. The unfortunate truth is that property managers get to see the good in us and they get to see the bad in us, right? Mm -hmm. And I've seen rough cases where you just have terrible, I shouldn't say this, but yeah, people people have terrible moments, right? And so you can have good tenants having terrible moments and they can unleash their baggage and their frustrations and the challenges of the world on the property management staff. It can be really challenging to keep up that internal energy and positivity despite having to deal with the baggage that a resident might bring. Yeah, it's interesting. I think we see our tenants at their best and at their worst. And this is a customer service driven industry. So when a tenant is delivering you their worst, you're still required to offer your best, even when you don't feel like it. And I think that's another skill set that property managers have to have is being willing to hold the space for someone who is likely not happy, is likely disagreeing with you and you have to be able to put a smile on your face and say that you will take care of it. You will follow up. You will figure out a solution as well. And it's it's not always easy because property managers have bad days as well. Come on now. <laughs> so true. So as you think about Norhart, what do you think it is about your company that is the most unique? There are a number of things. I think the big thing for us is solving America's housing affordability crisis and the way that we're doing that through our construction. But I think another element and 
this has been the most important lesson I've ever learned is in hiring the very best. And when we say very best, we really do mean that. We will fly people in from other states to come work here every week and then fly them home on the weekend because of the best of what they do. We have a about 15 or 20% of our staff are actually international, including some of our property managers who are completely remotely because they're really good at what they do. And so when you work very hard to build that level of team, and then you build a strong culture around it, you got to pay people incredibly well, right? That's part of the whole deal. That creates a community, a culture, a team of people that are amazing. And you might think that that's really expensive to do. And it is on a per person basis because you're paying top of market. But when you're looking at the results, you're looking at the community, you're looking at the relationships that they build, it's so far beyond what average people do that it's actually less expensive when you're looking at what they're actually producing. And so that culture, that community is is really core. It's the number one thing I think mostly about. 100%. I actually, I need to take the microphone here just for a minute. So we all know that there are fabulous property management companies out there, but there are also companies that exist that work their employees to the bone. Mm. I have worked through a state of burnout and I know for myself that making that employment move and switching companies was terrifying. Anytime that we change where we live, where we work, that is remarkably stressful on our nervous system. But oftentimes what I see happen is there will be a property manager who is at a company that does not respect their time does not respect what they need in order to take care of their health, but that employee will stay there because it's far too scary to make a change. Better to live with the devil that you know versus the devil that you don't. And so for those people listening who might resonate with this, you have to know that there are companies out there that exist that value team, that value culture, and that value paying you your worth. So I just wanted to highlight that from what you've told me, you're starting with that base. You're starting with people first and you're investing in them. And that's what's getting you the results that you want is by starting with that team. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, this I'm, this is so important to me that we do a a survey every six months. It's a nationwide survey. It's a separate independent company that does it for us, but all of our employees take that survey. And as part of that now, we're actually, we provide all the results openly to our employees. We are now providing it all online as well. So anyone can go read our dirty laundry and it's not perfect, right? You can actually read the good, bad, and the ugly. But I think that's important to do because I don't want to be fake good. I'd rather be honest with where we're at so that we can actually work to improve and grow that because that's the most important thing. And that's the first step is to be, hi, I'm Mike, and here's what we're doing well, but here's what I'm not doing well. And this is our steps we're taking to improve it because we always have stuff to improve. I agree. I agree 100%. I think oftentimes when we are in an interview situation, the company that we're interviewing for might be trying to put... I don't want to say put on a good face, but they might be trying to market to you as well. 
because they know that you are valuable. And they might not air out all of their dirty laundry, as you said. But as we know, transparency is the best policy. There's no upside to pretending that every company is perfect, that every supervisor is going to meet your every need and wish. I'm curious if you're open to sharing, have there been any results of that survey that either took you by surprise or that you weren't expecting that you found you needed to work on as a company or as an individual? Oh, absolutely. Every single survey, I learned something new. So part of that survey, there's like this super secret part, which nobody gets to see except the CEO. And that's the CEO's results. And so I share those completely openly. That's the first thing that we share. And some of the things that I'm constantly having to work on is I can be more the mathy kind of focused on the detail person. And I realize, you know, I've come to learn how important just interacting with people, just walking like today, just walking in the halls, talking to a few of the property managers, thanking the cleaners for what they're doing. I think so often I can get my mind of this is the next big task I have to complete that I need to always be stopping, engaging, seeing the people in front of me and appreciating where they're at and what they're doing. That's one of the biggest lessons that I've gotten out of those surveys. But from a company perspective too, there's always challenges that we face and having to fix and improve you've had to make it a point to connect more. Mm. Was that something that came naturally to you once you received the feedback or was that something that you had to work on and explore? It's definitely something I've had to work on. For me, I'm such a logical thinker that I have to like plan in my day. Okay, here's the time I'm going to go spend just connecting with people, right? I don't mm-hmm. go tell people that, yeah, this is the time I was walking down the hall to talk to you. <laughs> it mm-hmm. feels more spontaneous than that. But for my own self, that's just how I think, how I have to think about things to make sure I'm putting in the time energy into where it matters most. And that's the people. I agree and resonate with that in a way. I mean, you kind of pulled the words right out of my head. I'm very much a to-do list person. And I think that property managers who are to-do list oriented, that's why they do so well at it is because Mm. you are navigating multiple projects, multiple deadlines, multiple move-ins, multiple seasons that then affect your capital projects. And we can get very zoned in on boom, 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 next, 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 that sometimes we forget there is a emotional level Mm. of managing, that there is connection that needs to be made and that we want to get to know the people around us so that they see or that they feel seen and heard. One thing that I started doing was when I would do my monthly one-on-ones with my teammates, I would go for walks. Oh, wow. I felt like that was the perfect way to get out of the to-do list mentality get away from the distractions of the phones ringing and the emails pinging and just bring an element of let's just have a human conversation. Let's not have our planners and checklists with us for this next 15, 20 minutes. It's fantastic. You know, it's so easy as a manager to think in terms of what has to be executed on, but really what matters way more is that emotional, that support, that human connection when people feel like they have that and there's a piece there, they're much more likely going to give you way more 
energy and effort to produce those results. But if all you're focusing on the, is on the results, you're only going to get half of them. You're going to get their hands, but not their heart. And you need both mm-hmm. to be successful. Absolutely. So you had mentioned that you had no preconceived notion of mm. the way that things are done in this industry, which I love. <laughs> how do you think that has benefited you and how has that challenged you? Yeah. Wow. So when we were, my dad, my dad passed away and that first year or so we had a project that we were working to get approved and go through city council. And I really screwed up at a few points. I remember being at a city council meeting and I was pushing on something that we were legally right in doing so, but I failed at the relationship part of it. And people felt like I was not, you know, being a team player or what have you. And through that process, through building that building, they ended up shutting us down, as you mentioned, twice. And the second time they came to me and said, Mike, we don't have faith in your ability to lead your team. You need to find someone else to manage this, right? So this is like really rough. This is this is my in, incompetence, my inability to know what I'm, or not know what I'm doing. Um, so that that's where it really was negative. We worked past that to the point where the city city staff came to us by the end of that project and pulled me aside and said this was the best project that they ever seen when it was finally completed. And that was finally a moment of like understanding that I can do this, which was which was great. How did you get from A to Z? Those that sounds like two very very different opinions in the course of one project. Yeah, so it was we ended up hiring a manager and we only had a couple of days to do it. So it wasn't, it was more of a, a front man and we were doing all the work behind the scenes. And then it was just really, it was a season of just a lot of hard work and learning and digging in and solving problems. I remember at one point we had a water line that was several thousand feet long. It was buried 15 feet in the ground and the contractor, there was a, there was a pinhole leak somewhere. We could find it in the test, but we had no idea where it was. This would take months to dig up. And we had people moving in in like two weeks. And so I was out there in my fancy clothes, out in the mud, shoveling, digging, and trying to find the leak with the contractor. And he wanted to leave. And it was, it was, it, it was horrible. We eventually found the leak, solved that problem, and like just worked like crazy, worked late nights, got everything solved. And then, and then a few days before opening, we had all the city inspectors out there, half day inspection. And we delivered a project that they were excited to see, which was just so great at that point. Mm-hmm. I love the visual of you in fancy clothes in the mud <laughs> because that is the day in the life of a property manager. Absolutely, yes. I can't tell you how many times I've walked in looking very, very nice, and then something either catches fire or starts flooding. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I've been there many times over. All right. So tell me a little bit about, you've mentioned this a couple of times, solving the housing crisis. Why is that the goal? And and I mean, no offense when I say this, but I have worked at third-party management companies where people's primary focus has been profits. Yeah. You know, for, for me, profit has never been a motivator. I, I, you know, when I die, who cares how much hundred how many hundred dollar bills I can shovel under a grave? It just doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. My dad died at a relatively young age. And if you think about it, we only have about five thousand weeks to live here on earth. And the question I ask myself almost every morning 
is how do I want to spend the minutes I have here on earth? And for me, a big part of that answer is that I want to make some kind of meaningful, positive impact on the world. And the kind of impact that I think that we can have is by solving housing affordability. And so it's that impact that motivates me, the fact that we can leave a positive mark somehow in the world. Yeah, I think when you have a very, very deep reason why you are doing something, Mm. you set yourself up with a higher chance of success. Absolutely. So I think what I'm hearing from you is just evaluating what your purpose is and what you have the potential and capacity to do. Absolutely. People reach out to me and say, I want to get into property management. Tell me about what you guys do. I'm always happy to share, but my first question to them is, why do you want to get into it? And a lot of people, the answer is, I want to make a lot of money and then I want to sit on the beach. So if that's your motivation, there are going to be many points in this journey that are going to kick you down and you're going to give up, (laughs) right? You need to be in this because this is what you love and you think you can bring a meaningful contribution to that space. And if you have that attitude, you're going to do well. Yeah. I love what you mentioned about only having 5,000 weeks. Mm. I think, I mean, that that adds just an element of perspective of time and how are you using it? I remember there was this graphic that I saw years ago that it outlined how many Super Bowls you would see. It would outline how many books you could read in a year. And I remember seeing that graphic and being much more discerning about what I read after that, because I started yeah. to think, oh my gosh, well, if, if it's limited, then I've got to make a choice on what's important and what's valuable. So to take that out even further and look at how many weeks do I have, but how do I want to spend the seconds? I mean, my mind's a little bit blown at that question. I'm going to need some more time with it to be (laughs) honest, but I can see then the mission that is driving your company and driving you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I heard you say in one of your podcasts, how time is your most valuable asset Mm -hmm. and it, absolutely is true. And I think a lot about that. How would you say your relationship to time is as it pertains to work-life balance? That's a really interesting question. You know, for me, I think one of the things that I have done is I almost look at my days and my weeks in like a scientific approach. This is how I'm allocating my time. And then every single day that passes, I go back and look at it. How do I want to change the structure of this? So mm-hmm. for me, there's there's certain non-negotiables that I'm always going to do. Uh, one really simple one is I always make sure I get enough sleep. I don't care if it's the worst week. I don't care if everything is falling apart on me. I Please say it again, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I always make sure to get enough sleep. And what I've learned, and I've learned this the hard way, which is that if I cut back on sleep, even for a couple of days, my work output actually goes down. Mm-hmm. So you might think, you, oh, for a little while, I'm putting more energy into work. I'm going to get more work done by eliminating mm-hmm. my life side of things. But that's not how it works. 100%. You need to keep that life bucket full. So sleep is a big part of it. My time with my children every night when I come home, I very, very rarely don't make it home by the time I send it to every single night. It's the same time every night. Make sure to put my kids to bed. That's an important moment for me. 
And then what's interesting is there's moments in my time at home that I've been able to optimize, right? So Mm -hmm. for example, when I make my food, I start off by eating my food as I make my food, as I'm watching a documentary. So I can do multiple things with the limited time that I have to optimize that time. But first and foremost, there's certain non-negotiables you should have for your life and don't compromise on them. Life is too short. Mm -hmm. I agree. One of the big messages that I love to preach day in, day out is that multitasking is actually not effective and it can, it can slow you down. And I think that a big part of creating better work-life balance is understanding how your brain works and how to optimize your tasks to squeeze the most out of each day. Mm. And oftentimes I think what can happen is when you have managers who are constantly distracted, it slows down their efficiency, which piles on more work that has to be done in the evening, which cuts into sleep, which then sets you back the next morning. And if we can start by reducing distractions, zoning in our focus and getting more done on less time, it makes it easier to fit sleep in. It makes it easier to fit in time with your kids. Oh, I love that. I could not agree more. (laughs) The other thing that I love is, and this is kind of counterintuitive to what we just said about multitasking, but when you were talking about the way that you eat and how it's kind of ritualized, yeah. If you will, I try to multitask things that can be multitasked. Exactly. So for example, whenever I use a microwave, I use that as meditation time. I would love to be someone who could That's meditate awesome. for 20 minutes a day, but let's be honest, I don't really have that space in my schedule. But what I do have is a lunch hour every single day where I have three minutes. So why not use those three minutes consistently? So I am meditating every single day. It doesn't have to be for 20 minutes. You still get the the positive effects of it just by being consistent. Oh, that's so good. You know, there's two there's two sets of your mind. There's the active, like your your cognitive ability within that mind, but then there's the habitual side. Mm-hmm. What's interesting when you start something new, when you're like learning to walk, yeah. that's a very active, very conscious process. But once you get to a point of that being a habitual, easy to perform task. You can then go on a walk and think about a problem, right? So yes. think about tasks like that, moving them from that cognitive ability into habit so that I can free up more cognitive ability. Yeah. The analogy that I use all the time is a toddler brushing their teeth. Yeah. Oh my God, it is so painful to watch, right? Like <laughs> trying to put the toothpaste on, the toothpaste is on their shirt. They don't even realize it's on their shirt. They're spitting up all over the place. And eventually the brain will start to make those movements subconscious so that you don't have to think about it. And now you can think about things while you brush your teeth versus when you were a child, you were having to think through absolutely every single step. And that, I mean, that's kind of an extreme example, but there are places where we can implement certain things in our work day where we are able to work on two things at once. One of the things I would do when I used to have to listen to town hall meetings, I mean, these are conference calls that you are required to attend, but you're never asked to speak, right? That's when I would do my site walks and I'd take a notebook with me so that if there was something that I needed to follow up on, I was ready to write it down. But the whole time I'm I'm getting information and I'm also getting my eyes on my site and essentially kind of killing two birds with one stone, if you will. 
That's fantastic. I love that. So I have a question for you. Because I think there might be a couple listeners who are going to try BS on something that you said. If you're able to get home at the same time every night to be with your kids, what happens if there's an emergency right at that time? Yeah. So one of the really big benefits for the position I'm in now, and this has taken years to get to this point, is hiring amazing people. Mm -hmm. So if there's an emergency on site, I don't get pulled into it as often as I used to. Now, occasionally there is an emergency on site. If it's a true emergency that they need my attention on, I will do that. I'll I'll support that. But uh, I think when your kids realize that you're there every night with them and they have been the priority for so many weeks or so many days, they're much more forgiving and understanding if there is a problem. But Mm -hmm. if every night is an emergency, they're going to call BS on you, right? Mm -hmm. So. It's important to have that bucket filled up initially so that you can withdraw from it when you need to. I love that analogy, kind of banking up a little bit of savings, if you Mm. will, for when you need it on a rainy day. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing in the construction part of your job that is different than what we normally see. I have never worked in construction or development, so I don't even know what questions to ask you here. I'm very curious what makes you stand out. Yeah. Uh, boy, it's it's solving 10,000 little problems is really the core of it. But one example is that in construction, normally the owner, like the property manager, is a different company than the developer who might coordinate and find the site and figure out the project, who's different than the general contractor, who's mm-hmm. the guy coordinating all the construction, who's different than their subcontractors, your plumbers, your electricians, your HVAC. One of the first things we did is bring all of that under one roof. You know, if uh, if construction companies were to produce cars, there'd be a different guy installing the windshield, a different guy installing the door, a different guy installing the wheel. And of course, something would happen with the wheel company and they wouldn't be able to get out there for a week or two. So the entire line would be shut down. And then when they did come out, they would be irate. Because they could only work on one car at a time rather than a whole set of them. Mm-hmm. And so bringing the work under one roof is one of the, the first and easy techniques that we've done that's fair amount different than most other construction companies. So you have your own GCs, yeah. plumbers, electricians. Even suppliers and manufacturers. We have two manufacturing facilities now. Yeah, I was hearing about that and I was trying to wrap my head around that. So what are you manufacturing on your own? Yeah, precast concrete planks. So these are the the beams and the columns that hold up the core of the building. And the other one are wall panels, steel wall panels. Oh my gosh. Okay, so everything is literally in-house. Yes. Yeah, even supply supply chain. We have people in China and Mexico and the United States on the supply chain side of it. Mm -hmm. So from a development standpoint, when we don't have subcontractors everywhere and a separate asset management company and ownership and developers, how does that benefit you? Mm. What's different about the process? Well, we can start doing some really cool things. For example, you have the assembly line, right? This revolutionary new technique is not used (laughs) at all in construction. Now, the reality is The assembly line requires the product to move past the person. And you can't really move a building past people on an assembly line. But you can move 
people through the building. So what we do now is we take the building, break it down into smaller, what we call batches, basically one unit. Mm-hmm. And each batch now is, it takes five hours to complete. So the framers come in, they spend five hours, then they move to the next batch. Then the plumbers follow them. And they do the plumbing in that. And then five hours later, they move again and the electricians follow them. And so- We have like a conga line going through the building is what you're talking about. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) So literally you can go to our buildings and every five hours, another unit is done. And that takes a project that might be 15 months and drops it down to nine months. Just that one technique. As you say that, I am almost envious because (laughs) the process that I have known is first it's flooring. And then it's cabinetry and and no one ever wants to be in the same space at once. All of the contractors want to be there in solitude, which, which I completely understand. But I think part of that is the dynamic of that's a different company going through. I don't want to bump up against them because I don't know them. If you're doing this as a team, if all of your skilled labor is in house, they all already know each other. Exactly. Oh, that's amazing. Exactly. We can we can work together more tightly and you don't have all those problems, all those headaches that you were describing go away. Yeah. And I think about remodels. You're not getting the same group of people every single time. Exactly. Yeah. So for example, if we have the flooring installed one day, and even if we use the same company tomorrow, it could be a completely different group of people who then they're wasting time navigating where is the office, where do I get the keys, versus if it's the same person every time, it's much more free-flowing and smooth. Yeah. How effective do you think your property management efforts would be if you decided to have a new lease agent with every 10 leases that you sign? You're <laughs> so ineffective, but that's what we do in construction. It's, yeah, it happens yeah, all the time. You said that, and I'm like, no, never, please. <laughs> all right. Well, Mike, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today yeah. and learn about what you're doing. Before we close out, I think a lot of our listeners are people who want to move up in the industry. They mm. really want to do well. So for the manager who wants to be a regional or the assistant who wants to be a manager, basically anybody who wants to move up, what advice would you give them? You know, I think the first thing is to make sure, and this is for any position, but make sure you're in a job that you love, mm-hmm. right? Unless you love what you're doing, you're never going to be best in the world at it. But if you love what you're doing, then really dive in, learn as much as you can study, you know, learn from the very best, right? Learn, read books, engage with people like yourself, you can learn from people who are very good. And then, you know, fight to create amazing results for your company. And if you can do that effectively and well and show that passion, it's it's hard for people not to promote you. Well said. Well said. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am going to link Mike's information in the show notes. But for those who of you who want to learn more about Norhart, you can go to norhart.com slash invest. That's N-O-R-H-A-R-T dot com slash invest. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. I had so much fun interviewing Mike. And I have to be very honest with you. I have not 
done much work on the development side. I have primarily been in property management. So I left that interview with more questions than when I came. I have so many curiosities about how they make all of this work. What I loved about Mike in particular is that it's very evident that problems are not a problem for him or his company. There's simply problems to figure out. And I think that that makes all of the difference. Property management is nothing but problems. I have a whole podcast episode about that. And when we start to accept that, that's when the job gets to be really, really fun. I also loved our discussions about optimizing yourself. And you heard it first from the CEO. He never compromises sleep. So why would you? I loved our conversation around the non-negotiables. And so I will leave you with that to consider for yourself. What are the non-negotiables that you need to implement into your day to make sure that you optimize yourself to do your best work possible? As always, it is a pleasure to be here with you every week. If you are interested in free coaching, come on, pop over to the website and sign up today. You can book your free session at anahavalyana.com and then click get free coaching in the top right-hand corner. That's a n a j a v as in Venmo, E-double-L-A-N-A.com. All right, y'all. I love you. Keep going. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Addicted to Busy. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.